You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria Vagrida. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group and interact with others who are reading and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts, the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 234, and we are reading from volume 3, book 6, chapter 10, paragraphs 457 to 468. 457. The master arose with his prayer, and his countenance, beaming with peace and serenity, commanded his disciples to seat themselves like persons of superior station, while he himself remained standing as if he were their servant. Then he laid aside the mantle, which he wore over the seamless garment, and which covered all his person except the feet. He wore sandals, which, however, he sometimes had dispensed with on his preaching tours, though at times he had worn them ever since his most holy mother had put them on his feet in Egypt. They grew in size with his feet as he advanced in age, and I have already remarked, Having laid aside this mantle, which was the garment spoken of by the evangelist, he girded his body with one end of a large towel, permitting the other part to hang down free. Then he poured water into a basin for washing the feet of the apostles, who were wonderingly observing the proceedings of their divine master. 4.58 He first approached the head of the apostles, St. Peter. But when this excitable apostle saw prostrate at his feet the Lord, whom he had acknowledged and proclaimed as the Son of God, being again renewed and enlightened in his faith, and overcome by humiliation at his own insignificance, he said, Thou shalt never wash my feet. The author of life answered him with some earnestness, Thou dost not know at present what I am doing. But later on, thou wilt understand it. This was the same as to say to him, Obey now first my command and will, and do not prefer thy will unto mine, disturbing and perverting the order of virtues. Before all, thou must yield captive the understanding and believe that what I do is proper. Then having believed and obeyed, thou wilt understand the hidden mysteries of my doings into the knowledge of which thou must enter by obedience. Without obedience thou canst not be truly humble, but only presumptuous. Nor can thy humility take preference of mine. 
I humiliated myself unto death, and in order to thus humiliate me, I sought the way of obedience. But thou, who art my disciple, dost not follow my doctrine, under color of humility. Thou art disobedient by thus perverting the right order. Thou strippest thyself as well of humility as of obedience, following thy own presumptuous judgment. 4.59. St. Peter did not understand this doctrine contained in the first answer of our Lord. For though he belonged to his school, he had not yet experienced the divine effects of this washing and contact. Floundering in the errors of his indiscreet humility, he answered the Lord, I will never consent that thou wash my feet. But the Lord of life answered with greater severity, If I wash thee not, thou shalt have no part with me. By this threatening answer, the Lord sanctioned obedience forever as the secure way. According to human insight, St. Peter certainly had some excuse for being slow in permitting God to prostrate himself before an earthly and sinful man as he was, and to allow him, whom he had so recently acknowledged and adored as his creator, to perform such an unheard-of act of self-abasement. But his opposition was not excusable in the eyes of the Divine Master, who could not err in what he wished to do. For whenever there is not an evident error in what is commanded, obedience must be blind and without evasion. In this mystery, the Lord wished to repair the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, by which sin entered into the world, and because of the similarity and relation between it and the disobedience of St. Peter our Lord threatened him with a similar punishment, telling him that if he did not obey, he should have no part in him, namely, that he should be excluded from the merits and fruits of the redemption." by which alone we become worthy of his friendship and glory. He also threatened to deprive him of participation in his body and blood, which he was now about to perpetuate in this sacramental species of bread and wine. The Savior gave him to understand that how ardently soever he desired to communicate himself, not only in part but in entirety, yet disobedience would certainly deprive even the apostle of this blessing. 460. By this threat of our Lord Christ, St. Peter was so chastened and instructed that he immediately submitted from his whole heart and said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my head and hands. He wished to say, I offer my feet in order to walk in obedience, my hands in order to exercise it, my head in order to surrender all of my own judgment, that they may be contrary to its dictates. The Lord accepted this submission of St. Peter and said, He that is washed needs not but to wash his feet, but is clean holy. And you are clean, but not all. For among them was seated the most unclean Judas. This Christ said, Because the disciples, all except Judas, had been justified and cleaned by his doctrines, and they needed only to be cleansed from imperfections and venial sins so that they might approach Holy Communion with so much the more worthiness and better preparation, such as is required in order to participate fully in its divine office and receive its abundant graces with no much the greater efficacy and plenitude, 
For venial sins, distractions, and lukewarmness hinder all these benefits very much. Thereupon the feet of St. Peter were washed, as also those of the other disciples, who permitted it in great astonishment, and bathed in tears for all of them were filled with new enlightenment and gifts of grace. 461. The divine master then proceeded to wash also the feet of Judas, whose perfidious treason could not prevent the charity of Christ from secretly bestowing upon him tokens of even greater charity than upon the other apostles, without permitting it to be noticed by the others. He manifested his special love toward Judas in two ways. On the one hand, in the kind and caressing manner in which he approached him, knelt at his feet, washed them, kissed them, and pressed them to his bosom. On the other hand, by seeking to move his soul with inspirations proportionate to the dire depravity of his conscience, for the assistance offered to Judas was itself much greater than that offered to the other apostles. But as the disposition of this apostle was most wicked, his vices deeply ingrown upon him, his understanding and his faculties much disturbed and weakened, as he had entirely forsaken God and given himself over to the devil, and as he had enthroned the evil spirit in his heart, he resisted all the divine advances and inspirations connected with this washing of his feet. He was, moreover, harassed by the fear of breaking his contract with the scribes and Pharisees. As the bodily presence of Christ and the interior urgency of his inspirations both bestormed his sense of right, there arose within his darkened soul a dreadful hurricane of conflicting thoughts, filling him with dismay and bitterness and fiercest anger, whirling him still farther away from his Savior and turning the divine balsam applied to his soul into deadly poison of hellish malice and total depravity. 462. Thus it came that the malice of Judas resisted the saving contact of those divine hands in which the Eternal Father had placed miraculous power to enrich all creatures with his blessings, even if he had not received any other assistance except that naturally flowing from the visible and personal presence of the author of life, the wickedness of this unhappy disciple would have been beyond all bounds. The outward aspect of Christ our Lord was most exquisitely charming and attractive, his countenance serenely dignified, yet sweetly expressive and beautiful, was framed in abundant waves of golden chestnut hair, freely growing after the manner of the Nazarenes. His frank and open eyes beamed forth grace and majesty. His mouth, nose, and all the features of his face exhibited the most perfect proportion, and his whole person was clothed in such entrancing loveliness that he drew upon himself the loving veneration of all who beheld him without malice in their hearts. Over and above all this, the mere sight of him caused in the beholders an interior joy and enlightenment, engendering heavenly thoughts and sentiments in the soul. This divine personage, so lovable and venerable, Judas now saw at his feet, striving to please him by new tokens of affection, and seeking to gain him by new impulses of love. But so great was the perversity of Judas, that nothing could move or soften his heart and heart. On the contrary, he was irritated by the gentleness of the Savior, and he refused to look upon his face or take notice of his actions, for from the time in which he had lost faith and grace, he was filled with hatred toward his master, 
and toward his heavenly mother, and never looked them in the face. Greater, in a certain respect, was the terror of Lucifer at the presence of Christ our Savior. For this demon, having established himself in the heart of Judas, could not bear the humility of the divine master toward his disciples, and sought to escape from Judas and from the cynical. But the Lord detained him by his almighty power, in order that his pride might be crushed. Yet later on he was cast out from that place, filled with fury and with the suspicion that Christ might, after all, be the true God. 4.63 The Lord completed the washing of the feet, and again assuming the upper garment, seated himself in the midst of his apostles, and began the discourse recorded by St. John. Know you what I have done to you. You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, if then I, being your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that as I have done to you, so you do also. Amen, amen, I say to you. The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is the apostle greater than he that sent him. Then the Lord proceeded to propound great mysteries and truths, which I will not expatiate upon but for which I refer the reader to the Gospels. This discourse still further enlightened the apostles in the mysteries of the Most Blessed Trinity and of the Incarnation, and prepared them by new graces for the Holy Eucharist, confirming them in their understanding of the vast significance of his doctrines and miracles. Among them all, St. Peter and St. John were most fully enlightened. By each of the apostles, received more or less insight according to his disposition and according to the divine ordainment. What St. John says about his questioning the Lord concerning the traitor who was to sell him and the answer of the Lord all happened before at the supper itself, when the beloved disciple reclined on the bosom of his divine master. For St. Peter, in his fervent attachment to his master and his outspoken love, was anxious to know who was the traitor, in order that he might avenge or prevent the treason. But St. John, though he recognized the traitor by bread dipped into the sauce and handed to Judas, would not inform St. Peter. He alone knew the secret, but taught by the charity which he had acquired in the school of his divine master, he buried the secret in his bosom. 464. While he thus reclined on the bosom of Jesus, our Savior, St. John was privileged in many other ways. For there he was made to see many most exalted mysteries of the divine humanity and of the Queen of Heaven, his most holy mother. On this occasion also he was commissioned to take charge of her. For on the cross Christ did not say to him, She shall be thy mother, nor thou shalt be her son, but behold thy mother because this was not a matter resolved upon at the time, but one which was then to be made manifest publicly, as having been ordained and decreed beforehand. Of all these sacraments connected with the washing of the feet of the words and discourses of her son, his most pure mother was minutely informed by interior vision, as I have stated at other times, and for all of them she gave thanks and glory to the Most High. And when afterwards the wonderful works of the Lord were accomplished, she beheld them not as one ignorant of them, but as one who saw fulfilled what she had known before, and what had been recorded in her heart, like the law recorded on the tablets of Moses. She enlightened also her companions of all that was proper, reserving whatever they were not capable of understanding. Instruction which the great mistress of the world, Most Holy Mary, gave me. 465. My daughter, 
in three virtues mentioned by thee in the foregoing chapter, as especially practiced by my son and Lord, I wish that thou be particularly zealous as his spouse and my beloved disciple. They are the virtues of charity, humility, and obedience, in which Jesus desired to signalize himself toward the end of his life. Without doubt, he manifested his love for men during his whole life, since he performed for them such admirable works from the very instant of his conception in my womb. But towards the end of his life, when he established the evangelical law of the New Testament, the fire of ardent love that burned in his bosom burst out in more consuming flames. On this last occasion, the charity of the Savior for the children of Adam exerted its full force, since it was urged on by the sorrows of death that encompassed him, and was spurred on from the outside by the dislike of men for suffering their self-chosen misfortunes and their boundless ingratitude and perversity, in seeking to destroy the honor and the life of him who was ready to sacrifice all for their eternal happiness. By this conflict his love was inflamed to go to the point at which it could not be extinguished. Canticle 8.7, and thus being now about to leave the earth, he was driven to exercise all his ingenuity in attempting to prolong his benefactions and his intercourse with men, leaving among them by his teaching works and examples the sure means of participating in the effects of his divine charity. 4.66, in this art of loving thy neighbor for God's sake, I wish that thou be very expert and zealous. This thou wilt be, if the very injuries and sufferings with which they afflict thee shall waken in thee a greater love. Thou must remember that then alone wilt thou be secure and unwavering, when neither benefits nor flatteries of men have any effect on thee. For to love those who do thee good is a duty, but if thou art heedless, thou canst not know, whether in that case thou lovest them for God's sake or for the sake of the benefits they confer which would be loving thy own advantage or thyself, rather than thy neighbor, for God's sake. He who loves for other than God's sake, or for vain compliance, merely has not yet learned true charity, since he has not yet taken up with the blind love of his own ease. But if thou love those who do not satisfy any of these cravings, thou art led on to love them for the Lord's sake, as the principal motive and object of thy love, loving him and his creatures, whoever they may be. Thou must exercise thyself in both the corporal and the spiritual works of mercy, but as thou hast fewer occasions to exercise those of the body than those of the spirit, thou must continually extend thy spiritual works of charity, multiplying according to the will of thy Savior thy prayers, petitions, pious practices, accompanying them with prudent and holy admonitions, and thus advancing the spiritual welfare of souls. Remember that my Lord and Son conferred no bodily blessings on anyone without accompanying them with spiritual, and it would have been derogatory to the divine perfection of his works to perform them without this plentitude of goodness. From this thou wilt understand how much we must prefer the benefits of soul to those of the body, hence thou must always seek them in the first place, although earthly-minded men blindly prefer temporal blessings forgetting the eternal ones, and those tending toward the friendship and grace of the Most High. 4.67 The virtues of humility and obedience were highly exalted by the conduct of my Most Holy Son in washing the feet of his apostles. If by thy interior enlightenment 
concerning this extraordinary example, thou dost not humble thyself to the dust. The heart is indeed hardened, and thou art very obtuse in the knowledge of the Lord. Let it then be understood henceforth that thou never canst consider or profess thyself sufficiently humbled, even when thou findest thyself despised and trodden underfoot by all men, sinners as they are, for they never can be as bad as Judas, or thou as good as thy Lord and Master. But to merit and to be honored by this virtue of humility will give thee such perfection and worthiness that thou wilt deserve the name of a spouse of Christian and make thyself somewhat like unto him. Without this humility, no soul can be raised to excellence and communication with the Lord. For the exalted must first be humbled, and only the lowly ones can and should be exalted. And souls are always raised up by the Lord in proportion as they have humiliated themselves. 468. In order that thou mayest not lose this pearl of humility, just at the time when thou thinkest thyself secure of it, remember that the exercise of it is not to be preferred to obedience, nor must thou practice it merely at thy own will, but in subjection to thy superiors. For if thou prefer thy own judgment to that of thy superiors, even if thou do it under the color of humility, thou art guilty of pride. For that would be not only refusing to seek the lowest place, but placing thyself above thy superior. Hence thou mayest understand the error of shrinking back, like St. Peter, from the favors and blessings of the Lord, depriving thee thereby not only of the gifts and treasures offered thee, but of the advantage of humility which thou seekest, and which is much preferable. Thou failest also in gratefully acknowledging the high ends, and in striving after the exaltation of his holy name, which the Lord seeks in such works. It is not thy business to enter into the examination of his secret and exalted judgments, nor to correct them by the reasonings and thy objections on account of which thou mightest think thyself unworthy of his favors, or incapable of performing the works enjoyed. All this is a seed of Lucifer's pride, covered up by apparent humility, as he thus seeks to hinder the communications of the Lord, his gifts and his friendships, which thou desirest so much. Let it then be to thee an inviolable rule, that as soon as thy confessors and superiors approve of certain favors and blessings as coming from the Lord, thou accept them as such with due thanks and reverence. Do not allow thyself to be led into new doubts and vacillating fears, but correspond with the favors of the Lord in humble fear and tranquil obedience. This concludes our reading for day number 234. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 10, Paragraphs 457 to 468. Today's reading was The Foot Washing. And that's always a very moving scene to think about as we heard today. Jesus washing the feet of these apostles, and only one of them is going to stand by the foot of the cross by him. The other, Peter, the one who speaks up today, He's going to deny Jesus three times. They're all going to scatter out of fear. But yet Jesus, who knows that this is going to happen, stoops down and washes their feet and commands them to wash the feet of other people. This is the commissioning of the apostles for service. Just as they'll be commissioned to proclaim the gospel, this is their commission to love one another as I have loved you. 
And so they're going to wash the feet of others. In our instruction by Our Lady, she talked about charity. And this is what charity is. To love another person, to stoop down, to lower ourselves, to come to their help, to come to their aid and assistance. And maybe today then, we simply ask ourselves, whose feet is Jesus calling me to wash today? I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.